Hey, this is Quentin Moore, and I'm the pastor of the Father's House, and this is our podcast. Thanks for joining us today. I hope the message inspires you, gives you faith, and lets you see that God is truly moving in your life. We hope you enjoy today's message. I want to talk to you this morning about um, practices. Practices. Three specific practices um, that I feel like God has laid on my heart over the course of the last couple of weeks as I um, prepared for, for this Sunday. We're in the midst of the Lenten season, and some of us take that awfully serious, and some of us, you know, think, well, you know, just the season leading up to Easter. But as I was thinking about these practices, it, it, it really does fit in with the season that we're in. But the goal would be that we would take these practices and move them into our everyday life after Easter. I was telling first service, anybody in here know who Allen Iverson is? Like every time I say the word practice, like I think of that Allen Iverson interview. Is anybody with me? Please, some of the guys, okay. Uh, And he's sitting there, he's talking down on practices. Practice, practice. We're talking about practice. I don't know if you guys know this, but like we are in practice with Christ. Like the, the, the point of the relationship is to continue to grow in Christ. It's like your marriage, right? Like y'all are just practicing to try and figure this out. You know that, right? No. Interesting. I was in, a, I was in a, um, a small group a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about marriage, and it was about marriage, and we, we were talking about the differences. These, these you know, I've, I've been married, I think, 12 years. Is it 12? My wife's not here. Is it? I think it's 12 years this, this August. That's a lifetime for me. Like, I never thought I'd do anything longer than 10 years. I know that's kind of, kind of sad to say, but you didn't know me years and years ago. There's a couple that have been married for 20 years and so on and so forth. And we were talking about the differences and the changes that have happened and taken place in our marriages. And psychologically speaking, about every seven years, characteristics and personalities tend to shift and change. And without practicing communication, one day you find you thought your wife was there and you find her over here and you have no ability to correlate how you got from there to there. For her, it's point A to point B. But for you, it's like, what? What are we doing? In a relationship with Jesus, in that relationship, we, we practice things. And we have to practice things. We have to continue to, to, to work things out. And so I'll, this morning I want to talk about three. And like any good preacher, it's going to take me a while to get there because, you know, we're full of hot air. That's a joke. <laughs> I said that first service and like it was just flat crickets. And I don't know if it, they didn't get the joke or if I just really wasn't that funny. But we have to practice. And, and I think Jesus talks to us. If, if you look at the, um, Luke 6, verse 46, he, these are the reasons we have to practice it. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you to do? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you to do? You can imagine the frustration here with Jesus, right? Like when he speaks, crowds of people come. And 
I don't know if you know this, but if you've ever stood where I, where I stand, like, you know when you're preaching good and you know when you're not preaching good. Like, you know the people who are, like, catching it, and you know the people who are like, this guy is terrible. Can we move on? And everybody, I don't know if you know this, was catching it when Jesus spoke. I wish I had that. I just ain't got it yet, Mark. Uh, hopefully it's coming, you know? I don't know if it's, like, a, a gift from God that I'll get at some point in time when I reach this level. No, no, I'm just not that good. But Jesus speaks, and crowds come. And they're hanging on to every single word he says. And then they leave and they go back to their normal lives. And Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, but not do as I say? Why do you call me Lord, but not walk out what I'm talking about? You can see the frustration. You can hear the frustration in Jesus's voice. Why do you, why do you call me Lord, Lord? I don't know about you, but this really resonates with me. Because there are moments in my life where I have called him Lord, but not walked the things out that he's asked me to walk out. Can I get an amen? amen. Okay, thank you. I, th this, this is something that you read and it's like, I feel like I need to repent right now. We've had a really good day, but I know I have left things undone that he's called me to do. What, what, we, what we need to understand is that by following Jesus, our lives have to be distinct. They have to be different than the non-follower. Not because we're better than, but because we decided that he is Lord and he's asked us to do some things. And if he's asked us to do some things and we walk that out, that's going to look different than what the world looks like. That doesn't make us better. That doesn't make us bad. That makes us realize the people that we need to bring into the fold. We're talking about practice. We're talking about practices. Philippians 4, 9, Paul is speaking about these practices. He says, you have learned and you have received and you have heard and you have seen in me. Practice these things. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Paul is encouraging these guys saying, listen, you've heard me do it. You've seen me do it. You've watched me do it. Now you go do it. And oh, by the way, here's a promise that when you do those things, the God of peace will be with you. So you need no fear of what you're going to go through. You need no fear of what you're going to experience because the God of peace will be with you as you practice these things. There's a difference between resonating. Like, here's the deal. We, we resonate with things. We hear that scripture and we can resonate with that scripture. I got to hear, I got to do, I got to see, I, I can do these practices. And then just like the people that Jesus was talking to in Luke six, we move on with our lives because we think that resonating means we've done something. Resonance does not equal obedience. You can resonate with many things. You can resonate with music. You can resonate with things that you've watched on TV. You can, you, you can resonate with your favorite author in a profound way. But resonating doesn't equal obedience. My boys, my older two boys are resonating with music right now. Hampton loves Brooks and Dunn. Can I get an amen? <laughs> no, uh, not really Jesus, sorry. He can sing every word to hard-working man 
by Brooks and Dunn. I have yet to see any of that hard work. <laughs> but he can sing it. The other song he is absolutely in love with is Made to Be a Country Boy. And that boy is made to be outside. So we send him outside as much as we can. And if you know my older two boys, my older two boys are on opposite ends of whatever spectrum there is. Hampton is over here, and Hezekiah is all the way over there. But Hezekiah is resonating with music as well. That just happens to be the Beatles, specifically Love Me Do. And I'm good with that. I'm good with the country, and I'm good with the Beatles. And at some point in time, Jesus is mixed in there. We're working on it. Hezekiah loves the Beatles, um, not because he knows the words to the song, but because his Papa T is teaching him drums, and well, if you know my father. So he can sing Love Me Do, not because he knows what the words are, but because he knows how to play the beat to the music, and whatever gets him there, I'm good with. One day we'll see Hezekiah playing drums in here, hopefully. Resonating does not mean obedience. You see, we live in a time in history where our default position in faith uh, is more in deception than it is a culture of obedience. James 1, 22 through 24 says, be doers of the word, not only hearers, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his face, at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. We can't be the Christians in Luke 6 where we we listen to a staggering amount of Christian content that is set to change the course of our lives and walk out of here as if nothing happened. Luke 6, 46 through 49 goes on to, um, it, it's, the, it's Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. It goes on to explain the difference between the two foundations. That one foundation was built deep and on solid rock and the storm came and it broke against the house and the house didn't fall. But the other foundation was not, the other, the other house was not built on a foundation and when the storm came it easily broke. We have to understand that just having a Christian worldview is not strong enough to withstand a storm. There are people that have great theology that collapsed in 2020. It's the, we we must obey and put into practice what God has taught. It's that that has the ability to withstand any storm. Listen guys, if you haven't figured out how weak you are without God, I would love to live in your shoes because I've been through some things. And it's, you know, it's so easy to, if if I'm just being honest, it's so easy to bring up the cancer card, but there are so many other things in my life that I have walked through as like, if it wasn't for God. Those are testimonies, guys. Those are places where we pay attention to and speak to people who don't know. We walk those stories out and they change people's lives. It is the way Jesus taught us to walk. 
Jesus is not an insurance policy that we, we pay once a month when we come to church. Jesus is a relationship that we're in that is altering the course of our lives, not for, not for any sort of question, but for blessing and prosperity and, and strength and courage and grace that we may give that away. There's a book called Kingdom Ethics, and in, in, that, in that book it says, the church's moral task is not primarily to come up with right beliefs about issues like euthanasia and peacemaking and make sure that every member holds these right beliefs. I feel like this at one point in time was kind of the church. Like, if you got to believe in this and this and this, and if you don't and you don't walk those out, then you need to go find another congregation. That's not Jesus. Or just come up with a right set of timeless virtues and hope that every member will be virtuous. Instead, our central task is to discern which specific practices fit into the kingdom of God and which attributes of, community, of the community of character are appropriate and fitting for the, the people in th- whose lives are sur- surrendered to God. Excuse me, goodness. We want above all to be useful servants to the reign of God. Is that what we want? Thank you. And thus, with our hearts, we seek to discern and then put into practice a total way of life to advance the kingdom of God. It doesn't say to advance the kingdom of Sean. It doesn't say to advance my life. It says to advance the kingdom of God. And I feel like in, in this moment right now, a lot of the arguments are all about philosophy and theory. And yet in this, in, in, in this quote, he specifically says, we have to discern the practices. And there's many practices that we could talk about. We could talk uh, about Bible reading. We could talk about confession. We could talk about generosity. We could talk about celebration. But this morning, I want to talk to you about three root level practices, not fruit level practices. This is, this is important to understand because if you don't get the roots right, you'll never bear the fruit right. These are three invisible practices that bear kingdom fruit. The fruit will come. I promise the fruit will come. I promise the fruit will come. But if we get these root level practices right, number one, we have to learn to abide. We have to learn to abide. In John 15, Jesus makes a statement that is very controversial, and it is an all-or-nothing statement. It, 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 it is an all-or-nothing statement. It says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he, is, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. There it is. You're either with me or not. There's no lukewarm here. You either got both feet in or you got both feet out. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like branches and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burn. And if you abide in me and my words abide in you, whatever you wish, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Ask whatever you wish. But here's the deal. 
You can ask whatever you wish, but you have to abide. This is not me standing here asking for something and not abiding in Jesus. We want the blessing without the abiding. We want the Big Mac. Okay. Jesus is radically reorienting reorienting things right here. He has taken what was a a, a nation in Israel and and what was a law by the Pharisees and said, you have to abide in me. It's not about the law. It's not about the nation. It's about being in relationship with me. And if you abide in me and I in you, then ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. Jesus is talking about the vine and the vine dresser, and these are not new principles to him. These are not new thoughts to him. Unfortunately, he also didn't sit there and and think, well, Pastor Sean's going to preach in March of 2021, so what's a metaphor that he can use? No, he's talking to the people that are in front of him, just like I in front of you right now. You guys have the ability to relate, or some of you anyway, have the ability to relate to my two sons, and it's, you get it, it makes sense. These guys understood what it meant to be the vine and be the vine dresser. Now all of his frustration at the moment was with the children of Israel because they saw them as vines, but they were bearing idolatrous fruit. You, you, you can see this actually when, uh, when he says to the people of Hosea in 10 um, verse 1. He says, Israel was a spreading vine. <coughs> Excuse me. He brought forth fruit for himself. As his fruit increased, he built more altars, and his land prospered, and he adorned his sacred stones. Their heart is deceitful, and now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will demolish their altars and destroy their sacred stones. What's he saying here? They started praising the blessings instead of the covenant they were in with God. They were more concerned about their prosperity than they were about the relationship that it came from. I tell you, we could preach an entire sermon right here. I grew up in a house that was the name it and claim it house. And that's good. That's fantastic. That's great. But when you get the blessing, you don't praise the blessing. You praise the the one who it came from. We, have, we live in a culture today that says, I am going to name it and I'm going to claim it because my God says that I can. And when I get it, I'm going to go ahead and praise and bless that and eh, God will be a part of it. No. No, no, you don't get to do that. That's not how this works. Not because... God is interested in continuing to bless you. God is interested in continuing to show you that prosperity. God is interested in continuing to give you a life of abundance and a life of excitement and a life of joy. But God also wants to be in relationship with you. So stop. Sorry. Jeremiah 2, 21 and 22. I planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock? How then did you turn against me into a corrupt and wild vine? Although you wash yourself with soap and use an abundance of cleansing power, the stain of your guilt is still before you, declares the Lord, uh, the sovereign Lord. This is not God holding your sin over your head. 
This is him saying, stop trying to do it on your own. This is not God saying, see, you, I, I, I haven't forgot what you have done. No, this is God saying, you don't have to use the cleansing powder, man. You don't have to use the soap as much as you think. If you would, if you would rest in me, if you would walk with me, I planted you as that vine. You didn't plant yourself as that vine. I planted you because I had a plan and a purpose for you. And that plan and purpose was not just for you, but it was for a community of people that you would come in contact with. We get so center focused on this relationship with Jesus. And if my relationship is producing anything, that we forget that we are called to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. It's not about you. Mark 12, Jesus tells the the parable of the vineyard and the father and the son. And what he's doing is he's really telling the story to the Pharisees, and we find that out later because the Pharisees get really mad. But he he tells the story of the owner sending the son, and they killed the son, and they threw him out of the vineyard. It's, if you don't catch the correlation He's prophesying what's going to happen to him. God is expecting his people to bear a certain kind of fruit and they fail time and time again. And Jesus shows up and actually looks at the Pharisees and says, you're the worst of them all. You're supposed to be the best of us all, but you're the worst. You get rid of the prophet coming to bring the fruit that God wants us to bear. Jesus is saying, it is possible to be called my people, but not bear my fruit. And if we're really honest, we've all lived that life at some one, one time or another. Jesus knows who I am. My, my eternity is set. I've, I've stepped into relationship with him, but there have been times where he has called me his, but I have walked a certain way. Jesus is asking us to abide in him. Because it is in that abiding that changes, transforms how we walk and how we talk. All of the fruit that God wants us to bear in our lives will only come through the intimacy we have with Jesus Christ. All of the fruit that God wants us to bear only comes through the intimacy we have with Jesus Christ. This is huge because we live in a world today where there are so many generic Christian principles and so little Christ-likeness. So we are underformed in spite of the amount of religious activities we attend. And ultimately, the goal of abiding is for God to change our character, God to change our heart, Dallas Willard says, spiritual formation for the Christ follower refers to the spirit-driven process of forming the inner world of the human, of the human self, in such a way that it becomes the inner being of Christ himself. It's just another way of saying he working on the inside of me changes me to him. We're called to be Mary's living in a Martha world. 
looks at Martha and say, you are so worried and upset. You are so worried and upset. And you don't need to be worried and upset about any of that. And we see Mary at the feet of Jesus. First practice, to abide. <coughs> Second practice, discernment. Discernment is a very freeing task. I'm going to talk about you, Grandma Carol. Is that all right with you? That's fantastic. You always get Grandma's blessing before you talk about her in front of a group of people. I don't need to get beat up after church. My grandma has the gift of discernment. She's always had the gift of discernment. She knows how to work in the, whole, in the Holy Spirit, and it's a beauty to watch. And there are people around you, like my grandma Carol, that you need to pay attention to because you can learn a thing or two from them. See, God plants people in your life so that you have the ability to see how they walk out certain things. That, here's another thing. God doesn't give you part of him. He gives you all of him. So every single one of us have the gift of discernment. Some of us are better at using it than others. My grandma Carol, she's pretty good at it. So when grandma speaks, you listen. Have you ever been around those people? Yeah, um, another one in, in my life is Charles Hill. If Charles Hill, Charles Hill doesn't speak until he does. And then you listen because it's Charles Hill or Grandma Carol. That's just how it is. The gift of discernment is to walk into a room and figure out what God is doing in that room and how you join with God. The gift of discernment is not to tell you what's wrong. That's you. And that's a tough pill to swallow if you're one of those individuals, but that is not the gift of discernment. The gift of discernment is to be able to walk into a room and discern what God is doing, and you join with God in that discernment. You join with God in that doing. You join with God in whatever he wants. If you get around a person who is only telling you what is wrong with you in the name of Jesus, you have my permission to leave. This is huge right now because I feel like we are, we are bombarded by con conflicting narratives that say this is the truth and you must do this. What happens is people are manipulated by these larger narratives. And we're told that this is the most important thing in the world. And so you've got to act now and you've got to give now and you've got to protest now. And as a result, we're responding to thousands and thousands of demands of the world. But this is not how Jesus calls us to live. This is not how Jesus lived. There were plenty of narratives in that time, in the time that Jesus lived. And he defies them all. And you may be sitting there saying, Sean, you're right. He is, he did, but that's Jesus. That's not me. And to that, I would say, go back and listen to what I just said about abiding. Because if I am abiding in him, he changes the course of my life. And thus, I have the ability to walk out how Jesus is asking me. I have the ability to discern the situations that I need to discern, what God is doing, what God is working on right now, and I have the ability to move there. Get over yourself and stop acting like woe is me. No, you have a responsibility in this relationship, and that is to listen, to abide and listen to what God is saying in your life. Guys, we have the ability to bring something, we have the ability to bring life to an, an, a non-believer. I know that that's just pastoral cliche stuff. I really believe that. 
This isn't something that I just want to do every once in a while when I get the opportunity. I believe that these things change the course of people's lives. This is not mine to keep. I abide and discern so I can set people free, not because I'm good, but because the Holy Spirit's good. We see Jesus discerning. Stepping into situations and discerning. John 5, um, Jesus goes to Jerusalem. And there's a festival there. And he's by the sheep gate, which is just an, another, it's Bethsaida, it's the pool, right? <clears throat> and um, it was surrounded by five colonnades, basically a big room, okay? And Jesus walks in, and Jesus is not overwhelmed by the amount of people there. there the, the blind was there, the lame was there, the paralyzed were there. And the, the goal behind this, this pool is that they would stir it, and once it was stirred, you, you got in, and you believed you were going to be healed, right? And so Jesus walks in, and he sees a man. This man has been sitting in this spot for 38 years. I realize that's really hard to comprehend, but do yourself a favor and try to comprehend sitting in one spot for 38 years. One spot for 38 years. And Jesus looks at him and says, hey man, you want to get well? And the guy looks at him and says, man, I would love to, but I have no help. And every time they stir the pool, I think I'm going to be able to get down there, but I can't because someone else gets there before me. And Jesus doesn't sit down and talk to him about what he's experienced for the last 38 years. He doesn't wallow in this guy's own pity. He says, nah, man, get up, your ta- get up you're well, take, take up your mat and walk. Jesus, Jesus is not overwhelmed. Jesus doesn't sit here and say, okay, guys, we got a lot of people in this room. A lot of people need healing. So I'm going to have the blind here and the lame here and the paralyzed here. And you ushers, you disciples, you're going to have to, because there's going to be a lot of people falling out and we have to do this. No, no, no. Jesus looks at him, discerns what's happening in the room, looks at the man and says, listen, I hear you. I'm sorry. You've gone through this. Get up. You are well. Take up your mat and walk. And who gets mad? The Pharisees. Excuse me. The Pharisees see the man walking with his mat, and the Pharisees say, Hey, you're not supposed to be doing anything, man. Stop. You're not supposed to be working on the Sabbath. And he was like, Yeah, but like this guy just healed me. And the Pharisees were like, Who's the guy? And he was like, I have no idea, but I'm healed. So I'm going to go. And later on, the, 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 the guy he healed finds Jesus, and you can kind of see it being played out, right? Like, they find Jesus, this guy finds Jesus, and he's like, hey, man, thanks. Hey, hey, Pharisees, it's this guy over here. And he doesn't know anything, right? He's just trying to connect the dots, and the dots were not ones that really weren't connected. The Pharisees look at Jesus, and they say, and they wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill him for two reasons. They say, you're working on the Sabbath, and you're not supposed to be working on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, listen, I, I got to work on the Sabbath, because my father works every day, even this day. And they wanted to kill him even more because now he was, Jesus was comparing himself to God, calling him his father, making him an equal. He says, this is what we have to keep in mind when it comes to discerning. Jesus says, I can only do what I see the father doing. What is the father doing in your life? What is the Father doing in the life that you, are, that you are in? Not just here, but around you. Not just in your home, but in your workspace. 
not just in your workspace, but the people, like if you're Cameron, Cameron goes to the, the, the um, gas station like 10 times a day. You know how many people Cameron runs into on a daily basis? You guys think I'm joking. I'm not, am I? Nah. Who goes to the quick shop 10 times a day? What are you doing? Do you see what your father's doing? Not me, Jesus, God. Yeah. Just checking. Keep you on the straight and narrow. What is God doing in the moment of distraction? I don't know about you, but we kind of live in a distracted world. William James says we must reflect that when we reach the end of our days, our life experience will equal what we've paid attention to, whether by choice or default. There are so many things today that want our attention. Politics, the culture, our own personal problems. But, but Jesus in the gospel, it, 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 he, he, he uses phrase like, look, see, listen, take heed. It's like he's saying, you're missing it. Pay attention to this right now. Pascal said, inattention is the greatest enemy to the spiritual life. There's a pastor named Greg Boyd. That I, I didn't read this quote in, in first service, but I got plenty of time in this service, so I'm going to read it. It says, I believe this is the most prevalent and tragic misunderstanding that afflicts contemporary Western Christianity. We make a vow to submit our lives to Christ and then 99% of our time is excluding him from our awareness. We make him Lord over our life in theory, but we do not make him Lord over the moments that make up our life. The fact is, if we cannot discern God's presence in our day-to-day lives, it is unlikely that we will find him at a revival. It is good, Grandma Carol. The fact is that if we cannot discern God, God's presence in our day-to-day lives, it is unlikely that we will find him at a revival. We may find uh, a, a lot of excitement, great speakers, superb music, and maybe even some signs and wonders, but unless a person learns to find God as much in the ordinary as in the exciting, The exciting will do nothing more than serve as momentary distractions. Guys, we want revival so bad, but we couldn't find God's presence in our lives on a daily basis. Why? Because we haven't abided. We don't know what it means to abide. It is in the abiding that allows us to discern so that when we step into situations that could be revival situations, we miss the mark as just a great time. It doesn't matter the speaker. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you got Hillsong or Mav City or Elevation Worship. It doesn't matter. We we sometimes think, and listen, I got no problem with any of them. We, We sometimes think like, if I could only sit under Stephen Furtick. No, Stephen Furtick is just a messenger. We're just messengers. 
If I can't find God in the ordinary, I'm never going to find God through Stephen Furtick. If I can't find God in the ordinary, I'll never find God through Bishop Quentin. If I can't find God in the ordinary, then the goosebump that I get from worship is only just a goosebump. It isn't actually the Holy Spirit. We have to find God in our ordinary, everyday, single lives so that when we step into situations that could change the trajectory of people's lives, we see what God is doing and we move. It is that, that quote is such a, a conviction for me because how many times have I been in situations that I could have helped someone, I could have spoken to someone, I could have saw what God was doing and moved in that, but because I refused to see him on a, because I refused to abide on a regular basis, because I refused to discern on a regular basis, I have missed the mark. Now God will make that up in that person's life and I have no question about that, but God wants to use you and I. That's exciting, just for me apparently. God wants to use you. God, the guy who died on the cross for you, Jesus Christ himself, who saved your life, wants to use you. Guys, listen, if the good news of Jesus Christ does not excite you, you don't know the good news of Jesus Christ. God steps in, or Jesus steps into moments, and for us, he frames them. <coughs> Excuse me. He frames them as a, this is what I see God doing. He does it with the woman with the issue of blood, right? Jesus is walking to another miracle, and there's a crowd of people, and he stops. He's like, hey, hold on. Someone touch me. And you can hear Peter like, I think Peter was kind of the instigator, kind of the, the jerk, right? That's the guy I, I make him out to be anyway. And so Peter's like, you know, I really appreciate who it is that you are and what you, I know that you're a Messiah and everything, but everybody's touching you right now, Jesus. He's like, no, 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 you don't get it. Power left me. Power left my body. And now Peter's like, I have no idea what to do with that. Everybody step back. <laughs> He's like, power left my body. Who touched me? Who touched me? Who touched me? And a woman with the issue of blood came forward. He says, you're healed. What about the woman at Nan? Jesus is walking by a funeral processional and he sees the widow and his heart leapt. His heart went out to her. He stopped and he raised the guy from the dead and just kept going. He didn't get a URL. He didn't get a website. He didn't start a ministry. He said, I see what my father is doing and I want to do that. God wants us to be able to be a people that discern what he is doing. Number three, we have to learn the practice of intercession. Origen said, one saint who prays is much more powerful than countless sinners who wage war. One saint who prays. I feel like we have lost so much credibility in the public because we have no private fruit. I 
feel like we have lost so much credibility at times in the public because there is no private commitment to prayer. And that the way we restore that public fruit is by recommitting our lives to a life of prayer. We have to take these practices seriously and I realize these practices are not dynamic. I realize these practices aren't pretty. I realize these practices, but these practices are important. Not just for you, but for the people around you. (coughs) Excuse me. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you, you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark, dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Paul's sitting here saying, our fight is not on a human front. Our fight is not on a human front. Our fight is with a real enemy and it is invisible. It is a spiritual battle. And the second the church loses the focus on that war and goes to the war of the culture, she loses her power. Why is there so much compromise? Because we're fighting on human terms when we're called to fight a spiritual battle. Mark 9, Jesus talks, is, is uh, about casting out a demon and, and Jesus says, listen, you are, uh, you're bumping up against something that the way that this comes out is through prayer and fasting. To that, I'd, I'd like to say, I, I feel like we're bumping up against something and it's not gonna come out against, er, in, in the news media. The way this comes out is through kingdom power. We have to be a people who use our lives as a commitment to intense prayer. Dutch Sheets, Sheets says, intercessory prayer is an extension of the ministry of Jesus through his body, the church, whereby we mediate between God and humanity for the purpose of reconciling the world to him or between Satan and humanity for the purpose of reinforcing the victory of Calvary. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. And we here on earth are interceding, stepping into the Spirit, allowing the Spirit to speak to us in such a way that we know who it is that we're praying for. We know where it is that we're praying. We know how it is that God is asking us to pray. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 says, For though we live in a world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they are divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. These are aggressive words by Paul. Paul's talking about 
demolishing and waging war and strongholds being broken down. I'll tell you, one of the first times that I ever really like just had those moments like where I knew God was working on me, I knew God was, I'll never forget the walls, the, the metaphorical walls in my life just being torn down. I would see these big chains being broken and pulled apart. I reference it a lot. I don't tell the story a lot, but I reference walls being broken down and chains being torn apart because that's how God works in my life. And I want it for you. And Paul is sitting here saying, we do wage war against these things. We do have the ability to demolish these things. Strongholds are no more in people's lives. The beauty about Paul is that, like, you see Paul in public, and he's very polite to the pagans. If, if he's hard on anybody, he's hard on the churches. He's not very nice to the churches, but to the pagans, he's very, very nice. Why? Because we should know better. And these pagans don't. In fact, in, in Acts 14, he talks to the pagans and, 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 and he doesn't, and he's asking them to repent. He's, he, he's calling them to repent, but he's not saying, you're going to hell if you don't. You're going to, no, 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 no. He says, guys, you should repent. Come on. The crops in the field, they were given to you by God. Ah, the joy in your heart, it was given to you by God. You guys know that. Repent and thank God for that. And then he turns around, he's in Athens, and he sees all of these, if you've, if you've not read the story, you should pick up a Bible every once in a while. He, he sees all of these altars to all of these gods, and he said, I see, your, I see your effort to find God. He doesn't condemn them for that. In fact, if you read the story, he spends all week long walking around Athens with them. He says, no, I see your attempt to find God. I'll show you who he really is. <sighs> That is a breath of fresh air to me because it's not about getting everything right. It's about exposing the good news of Jesus Christ to those who don't believe, to those who are trying to figure it out, to those who are living a life set by rules. And if you don't follow these rules and you're a terrible person, listen, there are people in your life that believe in Jesus and have a list of rules that if they don't follow them, they're going to hell, even though they believe in Jesus. That's not God. That is not God. God said, I come to give you a free and a light life. That doesn't mean that you're not going to go through some things. That means that I will take those things. You will have the ability to rest in me when you go through those things. You will have strength that you didn't know that you had. He says, I can see you doing very religious things and I appreciate your attempts to find God. Let me explain who he is. My point is that power behind the scenes is seen in the public. What we say in the public, what we say in the public, there's something, divine or not, behind the scenes. I wonder if our rhetoric and our posture is so aggressive because there's no divine power behind it. Come on, guys, we are listening and in a world who is interested in tearing you down as quick as you. I wonder if that has more to do with the fact that there is just no flat divine power behind it. That you've spent no time in prayer. That you've spent no, and we just are stating our feelings as if they are fact. 
We speak out of frustration rather than speaking out of the love that we're called to carry. These debates that we get in on social media, we being people in general, how many of them are rooted in prayer? How many of them, if if you've been in them, if you have participated in them, you don't need to raise your hand. How many of them have actually been rooted in prayer? (laughs) Say something, Mark. Your most concern, the biggest concern in your life. Are you fasting and praying over it? When was the last time we sought a name out? A relationship that is no longer there or whatever may happen. And we fasted and prayed over that name. We contended for that person. We fought for that person in prayer, not physically. You got to be careful. I said this last time I pray, or last time I preached. You got to be careful with the word "fight" around Cameron. Contending, contending, fighting for and with. It's interesting. Uh, these three practices to abide, to discern, and to step into intercession. You find people that like one of them, right? Like you have those individuals that like to abide. (coughs) They like uh, to be contemplative. They like to step into the the mysticism of, of who God is and how this works but you talk to them about contending and interceding for people, and it's like, whoa, it's a little loud and proud for me. And you got people that, step in, that, that love to intercede, and you start to talk to them about the, the, the mysteries of our faith, and you're like, mm, sounds a little new agey for me. And you got, you got people that are all about just getting out and doing something, and outreach and missions and but you talk to them about actually praying for people and interceding and contending for their hearts and like, hmm, that's too many feelings. I'm out. And guys, we don't get to pick. This is the way Jesus lived his life. Jesus would retreat and abide. He would discern and he would contend for people's heart. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means. Stand with me. Hey, I hope the message truly inspired you today. If it did, do a couple things for me. Subscribe to our show and it'll just drop right into your feed and you can stay current with all that we're doing. The second thing is, is if you've been impacted by this ministry, you can click the link right there in front of you and you can become one of our givers. And that'll help us to keep spreading the gospel and the good news around the world. Everyone needs to hear the good news right now, maybe more than any other time. So God bless and I'll see you next time. Bye.